So last week we dove into the book of Acts. And we get, began to answer that important question is, I'm a Christian, now what? Right? I mean, you might have been walking with the Lord 30 years and you're thinking, now what? I still don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be. How do we live this thing out? What does this mean? I'm a Christian, now what? Today we're still in the book of Acts. Acts part two. Because it's chock full of what the church needs. Acts is kind of like a really good YouTube channel. Okay, Acts is way better than that, and I'm going I'm to show you that here in just a little bit. But it's kind of like a YouTube channel. I don't know about y'all, but, but when I need to know how to do something, I go and I YouTube it. I go out to YouTube to figure out how to do something. So when I need to fix my, my, one of my vehicles, what do I do? I go to YouTube, and I, I just put a little search in there. Hey, this is what's going on with my truck. Um, and all of a sudden I get all these videos and they'll say, oh, if this is what you're hearing and this is what you're, you're sensing, this is what's going on. It's this little $28 part that, that needs to be replaced. And then I look further at the videos and they tell me exactly how to do it. They, they show me other guys doing the same exact thing that I need to do. And I go, well, that's not rocket science. I think I can do that. And so we get the vehicle fixed, right? And I, I did the same thing the other day. My, my washing machine was broken. It, it wouldn't work. You know, I push all the buttons, I close the door, and then nothing happens, and it gives me this error message and all this kind of stuff. And so I thought, well, I'm going to YouTube it. And so I went out, I YouTube it, told me exactly what the, what the issue was. <clears throat> I bought the new part. I tore everything apart, took pictures with my phone as I'm taking it apart to know how I get, so I can get it back together, you know what I'm saying? And then I put it all back together, and voila, it worked. It worked. My wife thinks I'm a genius, thinks I'm the smartest, most capable man that's ever walked this planet. So thank you, YouTube, for that. If you want to know how to do something, YouTube can tell you. Similarly, but I would say at a whole nother level, if we want to know how to live this Christian life, then we need to get into the Bible and specifically, I would say, into the book of Acts. Because Acts is a place where we learn what the church, the original church, the beginning of the church, what it looked like, how they did life, how they approached things, how they grew, how they dealt with issues. The book of Acts walks us through and, and tells us, it, it shows us, it's a history book of the early church. It's God saying, here's the church, here's how it started, now go and do likewise. You don't need YouTube. I'm going to tell you right now, you want to know how to be a Christian? You don't need to go to any other source other than this right here. Right here. God's word. I want you to hold on a little bit because today's going to be a bit of a fire hose. Um, we're going to, it's going to be a fire hose of early church awesomeness, actually, is what it's going to be. So y'all ready for this? We're going to, we're going to hit a lot of, a lot of topics. We're going, to, we're going to hear a lot about what it looks like to be the church. So I'm a Christian, now what? Lesson number one of part two here is it's about kingdom, name, and power. I'm a Christian, now what? What do I need to be looking for? What do I need to be focused on? How do I need to be living this out? It's about kingdom, it's about name, and it's about 
power. You can write this down. You can go out to Uversion. We got our notes out on Uversion today for you. If you want to go out there to the events on Uversion, it'll show you Evident Life Church. It'll pop right up. Boom, boom, boom. You got the notes out there and you can fill in and put your own notes. But a pad of paper and a pen is a great way to go as well. Lesson number one today, it's about, it's about kingdom, it's about name, and it's about power. If we want to do it right, these are three prominent messages found in the book of Acts. So, the kingdom of God. When you look at the book of Acts, you're going to discover that Acts begins with Jesus making this statement. He appears to his disciples and he instructs them, quote, about the kingdom of God, Acts 1, verse 3. So Acts starts with a focus on the kingdom of God. Throughout the book of Acts, we witness, we watch, we read, we discover what it looks like to be kingdom people and to live in God's kingdom, which is in opposition of the kingdom of this world. And then at the end of Acts, you're going to see it all wrapped up this way. Paul, at the end of Acts, he's in the heart of the capital city of the entire Roman Empire. And it says that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I want to just say a few things about kingdom because you're going you're to learn. I want you to learn it and see it for yourself in the book of Acts. But there's something about a kingdom. A kingdom has a king. You cannot say that you live in God's kingdom if Jesus is not your king. A king is somebody that you bow down to. It's somebody that you fully submit to. So those of us who are living in God's kingdom, we bow our knee, our lives, our everything to our king, Jesus. The church is supposed to be living as citizens of God's kingdom now. It's popular in the church today to think that we can have it both ways, that somehow that we can be attractive and, and fit into the kingdom of this world while still being in God's kingdom. You can't have one foot in one kingdom and one foot in the other kingdom. It doesn't work that way. It'll split you right in half. I never have done the splits. I never want to do the splits, but it looks painful. And there are a lot of Christians doing these splits right now where they got one foot in the kingdom of this world and one foot in the kingdom of heaven. It's not God's way. It's not God's way. We're supposed to be foreigners here on this earth now and members and citizens of God's kingdom. So read all about it. Read about the kingdom of God in the book of Acts. And see what it looks like, what it feels like, smells like, and tastes like to be citizens of God's kingdom. The second prominent message is the name of Jesus. And when I say the name of Jesus, by the way, it's mentioned like 40 times in the book of Acts. But I'm not talking about just J-E-S-U-S, -S, just his name mentioned 40 times. I'm talking about this phrase, this concept, this reality called the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, there's just something about that name. Y'all know that song, right? Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Yeah, there is something about that name. And it's massively significant. And as you read through the book of Acts, you're going to discover the name of Jesus, the power, the importance, the place, 
that the name of Jesus has for those of us who are living in his kingdom. In Acts chapter 3, I love this, and I, and I know this verbatim because I learned it as a, as a kid in grade school, this song about Peter and John went to pray. So I'm, I'm just going to say it that way. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He put out his palm. He asked for an alm. That's money, by the way. He asked for an alm. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, because all I carry in my wallet now are credit cards. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, he didn't say it that way. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. And then he said this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the lame man got up and he walked. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God, right? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's something about the name of Jesus. And you will discover that as you read through the book of Acts. It's like that other song says, there's power in the name of Jesus. You know, healing happened in the name of Jesus. Demons were cast out. You're going to read that in the book of Acts. In the name of Jesus. Persecution happened to the people of God because of the name of Jesus. But whole households were also saved because of the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And you know that because you can mention any other name in our culture, in the kingdom of this world, and that's totally okay. But you mention the name of Jesus in our world today, and all hell breaks loose. Everybody gets out of joint. They want to shut you up, shut you down. You can bring in all kinds of sickness and evil. Have all kinds of story hours at, at a library or in a grade school, but have a Jesus story hour in a library or in a grade school. Kirk Cameron just did that in a library and all hell breaks loose because there's something about the name of Jesus. It's legit. It's real. There's power. When you face the name of Jesus, you have a decision to make because there is authority, ultimate authority in the name of Jesus. And those who do not want to bow their knee to any other authority except themselves have a problem with that name, the name of Jesus. It's mentioned 40 times in the book of Acts. There's something about that name. I want to say this, though, about the name of Jesus. Because when we pray, we'll often pray in the name of Jesus. And we should. But I want us to be very careful. The name of Jesus isn't some sort of magic wand. It's not like, hey, I can pray for whatever I want to and then just kind of wave the magic wand of Jesus in the name of Jesus over that and it's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what, if that's how you're using the name of Jesus, it's essentially witchcraft. Just being real about it. This is the name of Jesus. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're recognizing and declaring his authority over that situation. 
Lord, heal my dad in the name of Jesus, in your authority and for your glory. When we declare and speak the name of Jesus as we pray, what are we doing? We're asking the Father to act upon our prayers, humbly asking him to act upon our prayers, not because of our own ability to pray or because of our own righteousness or because we're all that. No, we're asking God. We're humbling ourselves before the Lord, and we're asking that he would do this because of his Son and for his glory, for his fame. So as you're going through the book of Acts this week, reading through it, I want you to underline and take note of every mention of the name of Jesus, that, that, that concept, that understanding, that reality of his name, his authority mentioned as you read through Acts. And then I want you to look, are you living your life in the acknowledgement of his authority? Are you living your life that way? And then I want you to ask this. Are you believing that way? When you pray in his name, are you believing, truly believing that he does have all authority over whatever it is you're praying for, whatever it is you're facing? And as you mention his name over that, that, that you're mentioning the one who does have all authority. Amen. Are you ministering to others in the name of Jesus and the authority and the power that that name carries. Wrestle with that a little bit this week. It'll be good for you. Wrestle with that. The third, the third theme that we see throughout the book of Acts is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's also mentioned 40 times in the book of Acts. The power of the Holy Spirit moving in and through the church, in and through the people of God. We talked a lot about that, the importance of operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked a lot about that last week. I'll reference you back to last week's message if you want to hear more about that. Um, but if we're going to be like the early church, if we're going to see what the early church saw, if we're going to be doing the things that the early church did, then we need to be those who minister the kingdom of God by the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, I just kind of brought it together with that, that statement God gave me. Be with who you are, say what you know, and give what you have. We got to be who we are. In other words, we got to be citizens of God's kingdom right now. We got to say what we know, and that is that the name of Jesus is above every other name. And his name must be declared in and throughout this world. And then we need to give what we have, meaning we need to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be a Christian and to be his church. Power or kingdom, name, and power. And you're going to see that in the early church. Let's go to lesson number two. Lesson number two is this. Might catch you off guard. Don't romanticize the early church. All right? Now, the early church, they ministered. In kingdom, in name, in power, and it was awesome. But we must be careful. Don't romanticize the early church. Most of us, we want the church today to be like the early church. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, the Lord put in this word, he gave us the book of Acts to show us how to be the church. It's not in there by accident. 
He wants us to see, this is what it looks like. This is how I want you to operate. This is how I want you to grow. This is how I want you to lead. This is how I want you to pray. This is how I want you to believe. Live this way. Act this way. It's, it's in there for a purpose. In fact, the early church through, that we witnessed really in the book of Acts, it's kind of like a plumb line for all of us right now, for the body of Christ right now. This is how you be the church. But we must not allow ourselves to romanticize the early church because they had problems too. The early church had issues, man. It wasn't all like ponies and roses and kumbaya every day. It just wasn't. I mean, check this out. The early church had scandal, like big time scandal. Let's just go to Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Man, we want the early, we want to be like the early church, man. We want to see the things that the early church saw, man. We want it all. We want it all. It was amazing. And if the church today was just like that, then everything would be perfect. So they had a call. They said, hey, we got some benevolence needs in the church. We got some families that have some needs. You who have much, can you help out? So people were like selling stuff. They were selling their cars or donkeys, I guess, at the time, right? And they were bringing the proceeds. They were selling land. Like, and, and, and bringing the proceeds from the sale of their land to, to bring to, for benevolence for the church so that those who had need would be taken care of. Well, these, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, were like, we're going to join in on that because we want to look good. We want to look like we care, man. And so they sold some land. And they brought the proceeds of that land to the elders of the church and said, here it is. And they're like, great. But here's the deal. They, they put it off. They, they like showed it like, like, yeah, man, we're giving all this. We sold this land and, and we're giving everything that we got from the sale of this land to help the church out, to help y'all out. Well, the fact was is that they didn't give it all. They sold it for this much and they gave this much. You know what happened? Dude dropped dead. The dude dropped dead. He lied. Specifically, he lied to God. Then his wife comes in. What's going on? Well, this is what happened. This is what we sold for. Oh, yeah, what he said is right. What he said is right. Because we, we talked about it beforehand and said, this is our story. You know, And boom, she goes down. They drag her out as well. So, man, we want, this, we want the church to be just like the early church. Man, you know how messy that would be right now? You know how messy? We'd be like having to increase our elder team so we could drag people out and be all this stuff. We'd be calling the corner left and right, and it would just be a mess, man. Anyway, the early church had rivalries and jealousies. They had arguments. They had rebukes. Paul and Barnabas, man, they had arguments. They separated, man, for a while. Had some issues with their relationship. Paul rebuked Peter in front of the other leaders. There was immorality. There was heresy in the early church. In other words, these folks were human. They were just, they were just like us. Ministry is messy. Ministry was messy. The church is made up of people. Broken people who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, like we sang about earlier, but are still being sanctified, still, be, 
Still getting the rough edges worked out. You know what I'm saying? Church is made up of you and me. The church was messy. The church is messy. And like the early church, we got to learn and work through the issues. Because they, they worked through issues. They dealt with things. They addressed things. And also, the early church, instead of writing off the church, they stuck with it. They dealt with it. People who write off the church because it's messy, because they got, they got hurt, because something happened to them in the church. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're in the church, something's going to happen. Somebody's going to offend you. You're going to get hurt in some way. You're going to think, man, they should have prayed for me and they didn't pray for me or this should have happened or they said this thing or this or that or that or this or they didn't sing the song I wanted to on Sunday. I mean, it can get that ridiculous, I know. But, but those people who write off the church because it's messy and flawed, they're wrongheaded. Because here's what's going on. They're actually writing off the bride of Jesus. When you write off the church, when you say... No, that whole church thing, I really don't get in that church thing. It's too messy. It's too hard. I'm just going to do it myself. I don't need the church. You're writing off the bride of Christ. You're actually saying to Jesus, Jesus, your bride isn't good enough for me. It isn't worth it. I don't have time for her. She's too messy. You know what? When she gets all dressed up and fixed and and is perfect, then, then I'll think about her again. But until then, I just don't have time for her. Do we see the church as the bride of Christ? I know this. If, if Jesus has a bride, which he does, it's called the church, I'm not going to throw mud at his bride. I'm not going to talk about her in a negative, disparaging way. I'm going to come alongside of her and help her get ready for the wedding day. Help her prepare. Help her figure it out. Help her have all that she needs for that amazing day when her bridegroom, Jesus himself, comes down from heaven. All right. I could keep going on about that one, but I don't have enough time for that. Let's go to lesson number three. Lesson number three, title, I, I title it this. It's not guaranteed to happen again. It's not guaranteed to happen again. Not everything in the early church will happen that way again. Some of you are like, I've never heard that before. Well, hold on, here we go. See, some of what we see in the early church is supposed to be a normal part of church life throughout all history. It happened then. It happened a thousand years after that, and it's happening today, and it's going to happen tomorrow until Jesus returns. There are just those things that are, are just normal, that were part of the early church and, and are definitely part of the church now and throughout all of time. But then there are also those unique once-in-a-lifetime moments as well, kind of one-offs that we read about in God's Word that happened once for a purpose. If something's mentioned only once in God's word, 
It may, may be a one-off, not necessarily, but it, but it might be just one of those one-offs that God just did in that moment for that purpose. Sovereignly, that was it. However, if something's mentioned more than once, then it may be something that's supposed to be normal in church life. Something that we should be looking for and expecting, embracing, and walking in. For instance, at Pentecost, which we're coming up to, 50 days after Easter and all that, right? So we're coming up to Pentecost, right? And, and at Pentecost, there was a lot, of, a lot of things happened. There were tongues of fire that came down and rested upon the people who were there. The wind blew. It's kind of almost doing that today, I guess. And blew the windows and doors off of that place where they were. There was, there was a whole lot that happened. And then everybody in that room began speaking in tongues. Now, there's some things in Pentecost that, that happened that one time. I, I, I've not read or, or seen where there's been these tongues of fire that actually came visibly and have come and hovered over people in church gatherings, that that's a normal thing that happens in the gathering of the saints. But something else that happened in Pentecost, we see time and time again, even in the book of Acts and also throughout the history of the church, and that's tongues. Tongues. In fact, we look elsewhere in Scripture, not only in the book of Acts, but we look at the writings and the other books of the Apostle Paul. And it was a normal thing. Look at 1 Corinthians. Three chapters, not dedicated only to tongues, but speak about it quite a bit. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. So tongues is obviously something that that is a normal occurrence, something that's part of normal Christian living and part of the church. Tongues of fire coming and resting visibly on people in church gatherings on everyone in the room is not necessarily normal. And it's important as we read scripture that, we, that we're processing these things and we're looking at the bigger picture and the understanding because there are things that we need to expect that they will happen again. And then there are those other things that maybe we're longing for that were a one-off and we can make it the big thing, but hey, God did it once for a certain reason. Instead of waiting for that to happen again, why don't you just go out and share the gospel? Amen. Just say it. It's not guaranteed to happen again. As you read through the book of Acts this week, take note of those things that repeat, that you see time and time again in the book of Acts, in the life of the early church. Maybe or probably these things that you're seeing, we should be seeing and expecting again and again today. Just take note of that and then look at your own life and, and look at our church. And maybe there are things that we need to open up our eyes to and be ready for and be expecting and, and, and walk in. Let's talk about that. Let's press into that. We want what God has for us. We want to be wise and understand these things. And so we read his word. Lesson number four, God wants his church to grow. Right? He wants his church to grow. Scripture says that God desires that all would be saved. First Timothy 2.4 says that. For God so loved the world that he sent his son to save us, to rescue us. 
It says in 2 Peter 3, 9 that God doesn't want any to perish. In fact, in, in, in 2 Peter 3, we see that God is patient and he's slow at coming back. Why? Because he wants his church to grow. That Jesus would receive the fullness of the reward of his suffering. And so he's patient as the church is growing and as people are coming to Christ and being saved. God wants his church to grow. He wants people out of darkness into the light. He wants reconciliation and redemption for people. The early church was a growing church. And the language that we find in, in the book of Acts speaks of this. And there's two basic statements that are made throughout the book of Acts. And I want you to look for these. Because these are important in the life of the church, in your life, in our life, your life personally, our life together, to understand this. One, one such statement that you see is that the word of God was increasing and spreading. The word of God was increasing. The word of God was spreading. Another statement then that we see in Acts, in the life of the church, is that the number of disciples were increasing. The word of God was spreading. The number of disciples were increasing. Hint, they go together. The word of God was spreading. The number of disciples were increasing. It's basically this. More gospel equals more saved. More gospel, more people saved. Almost every, every instance or episode that you find in the book of Acts, the church grew and spread. From the day of Pentecost, what happened? It says the church grew and the church spread. That was the result of it. Stephen was stoned to death. Not our Stephen. We're grateful that Stephen is here with us today. Anyway. Things come to me in the middle. You know, I'm just thinking about that. He's got a beard. Stephen, the Bible, probably had a beard too. He loves Jesus and he preaches the gospel as well. So there are some similarities there. Uh, stay alive, my brother, stay alive. But Stephen was stoned to death. Why? For preaching the gospel. For what? He actually said the name of Jesus. He preached the name of Jesus. They couldn't have it. The kingdom of this world couldn't have it. So they silenced him. They stoned him to death. And what was the result of the gospel going forward? The number of disciples increased. God can take anything and turn it for good to expand his kingdom. Whether it's the day of Pentecost and the move of the Holy Spirit or whether it's persecution and opposition that we experience, God can take that and use it for his kingdom to expand and his church to grow. Because God is God. But the church didn't begin or grow through its own power or initiative. It didn't grow because they were super smart and they had all these strategies that they put together. The church grew because God was moving. The church grew because God's word doesn't return void. The church grew because the gospel has a power to save. The church grew because the name of Jesus has all authority. The church grew because the Holy Spirit was moving through the church. I would say that the, the book of Acts is not the acts of the apostles. The book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. This is what we're reading. The acts of the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ. 
That's how the church grows. That's how we grow. Because God's work is supernatural. It's born of the Spirit. Remember this, when we do things God's way and we let God do his thing in us and through us, we submit to him. Remember, he's king, kingdom thing, right? He's king. When we let that happen, Jesus says, hey, look, the gates of hell won't prevail against you. The gates of hell won't prevail against my church. That's amazing. By the way, Evident Life Church, we're helping plant yet another church in the country of Ghana, Africa. Uh, this one is, is now actually all the way over into the capital uh, in Accra of Ghana, Africa. So I think it's about the 12th church or so. I know we did one even earlier this year, or late last year, but then there's you know, another one, even right now, that's being planted right now in Accra, Ghana. And we get to be very, very instrumental in that. I know we're not there. We're not, we're not actually leading in that sense, but we are partnering with our brothers. That's something else you're going to read about in the book of Acts, how the church partnered and how they would send help, whether it's people or funds and resources, around to different congregations of the church to help at different times for different purposes. Why? So the church would grow, so the kingdom of God would advance, so the gospel would go forth, and the number of disciples would increase. That's, that's just being the church, and we're just blessed to be able to do that uh, here in our, in our community, but also really worldwide as a member of the greater body of Christ. All right, lesson number five, the, the final lesson is this. Expect opposition. Everybody said amen, yeah. <laughs> Woo. Expect opposition. We read about imprisonments in the book of Acts. Beatings, stonings, plots to kill the apostles, martyrdom, death. The whole works. Expect opposition. All these amazing, faith-filled, obedient men and women. Spirit-filled men and women of God doing the work of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they encountered opposition. Right, sister? They encountered opposition. It's real. Just because we're doing God's stuff doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I would, I would flip it the other way, actually. Because you're doing God's stuff, it's going to be hard. But isn't, isn't the way that we judge something, isn't it, if it's easy, then it's God's will and it's God's work? No. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. There was all this persecution, but God uses this rejection of the gospel. He uses this persecution of his messengers, of his hands and feet. He uses all of that to accelerate the growth of the church. Remember this? Jesus promised that we would have troubles in this world. People hate that verse. Jesus said it. If you got a red letter Bible, it's in red. You will have trouble in this world. Some of it's because you just do something stupid. All right. But the kind of trouble Jesus is talking about is the trouble that you're going to experience and encounter because you come in his name. Because you come as his representative. For remember, Jesus also said that if they hate me, they will hate you 
also. But aren't we supposed to make the world like us so that then they'll like Jesus? Y'all, that don't work. I know that's poor English. I did it on purpose. That doesn't work. That's a horrible formula. Look around you. Has it worked? It doesn't work. Instead of the church bringing what the world needs, which is God's kingdom, we just start fitting in, getting watered down by the kingdom of this world because, man, we want them to love us, and if they just love us, then they're going to love Jesus. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You see how that works? You see how that works? Doesn't mean we go out and we look for the world to hate us. Jesus didn't do that when he ministered. But boy, they hated him. So much so that they hung him up on a cross. Beat him. Tore him apart. Mocked him. Rejected him. How many of you want to be be like Jesus now, right? Expect opposition. Nearly every single one of those early church fathers and men and women who who expanded the church, they were were martyred. Except for the apostle John. He's the only apostle that wasn't martyred. They tried to several times. He just didn't die. I'm going to say this. If the world is embracing you right now, if the world just treats you and looks at you like one of their own, then you got to disconnect with Jesus. You're disconnected with Jesus. There's a disconnect there. I'm just being real with you. You think, oh, they love me. That means, they, 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 no, dude. If they, if they think, man, you just fit right in. And I'm talking about people of the world. I'm not talking about other believers, obviously. There's a disconnect. The world doesn't love what you love. Now they need to. I'm not saying we run away from the world. We got to be just like Jesus and we got to go out. Because he didn't come for the the healthy. He came for the sick. So we go to the, the spiritually sick. But we don't go to them to get them to love us. We go to them to share the gospel with them to introduce them to Jesus, the one who came and perfectly loved them. So how do we respond to troubles? Okay, I, wanna, I thought about this. So I haven't talked about this in a while because it was a few years back now, but I did used to coach high school basketball, and um, I loved it. In fact, you know, it's March Madness, and if I wasn't a pastor, I would want to be a college basketball coach. I'm just saying that right now. So any of those colleges out there, uh, maybe um, some of you number ones who lost to number 16, you know, are looking for a new coach, some fresh blood, some different ideas, you know, um, love to do that. Um, No, I, I have a calling right now, but when I coach basketball, I had to make sure that the opposition didn't dictate the pace of the game. See, to me, that was key. I wanted to make sure that we dictated the pace of the game, not our opposition. 
I didn't want them to dictate how the game was going to be played and therefore how we were going to be played. I wanted us to play in a way to where we were dictating how they were going to play the game. You know what I'm saying? You see how that works? So as we, the church, and and this is another thing. People have this saying, the best offense is a good defense. The best defense is a good offense, in my opinion. You got to take it to them. You got to put them on their heels And when you put them on their heels, it's a lot easier to play defense. You still play defense. But the focus, I'm just saying, coached a lot, the focus needs to be offense. And that's the way it needs to be in the church as well. We find ourselves way too often just playing defense, trying to be okay, trying to get everybody to like us, trying to make sure everything's all right. No, no, no. We got to play some offense. As a church, we can't let the opposition dictate who we are, what we say, and how we live. Look, here's how it works. As you look in the book of Acts, you're going to see Peter. Peter gets imprisoned. They say, you can't say his name. Notice that again. We keep going back to the name. There's something about the name. You can't say his name. Stop saying his name. We're putting you in prison. We're going to beat you. But uh, we got to let you go. But remember, don't say his name. What did he do when he got out? He said his name. He preached the gospel. He played offense. He took it to them. He was dictating the pace of the game, not letting the opposition dictate the pace of the game. There is opposition, but we need to dictate the pace of the game no matter what's going on in the game. Paul did the same thing. You basketball folks are going to love reading the book of Acts this week. It's March Madness. You just got this analogy thrown at you. You're going to see it all over the place. It's exciting. Let's go, church. Let's go, church. But look at this. Opposition, all the opposition you see, opposition that we don't see in America right now as a church. People aren't getting stoned to death. People are getting, you know, you aren't woke. You got to be quiet. And it's like, whatever. We're going to cancel you from social media. Okay, whatever. You know, that's our persecution right now. But the crazy, hardcore persecution and opposition that the early church faced, what? (laughs) It didn't kill the church. Rather, it fueled the growth of the church. And as we face more opposition, we keep praying, oh, we don't want opposition. I'm going to say, I don't want it. I'm never looking for a fight. But if you bring the fight to me, I'm going to control the pace of it. And if this happens with the church and we respond this way, we're going to see the church grow. We're going to see the number of disciples increase, even in the midst of more persecution. Don't go looking for it, but if it comes, be of good cheer, be men and women of faith, because we're about ready to see the body of Christ grow and Jesus receive the reward of his suffering. That's how it works in his kingdom, folks. That's just how it works. I'm going to close with this, and then we're going to close with a little song. You going to be able to do that, Pastor Tim? Something a little different? All right, surprise me. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. As you read through the book of Acts, and maybe this is the second week you've done that, maybe you already did that last week, read through it again. Because we're going to really, the more time we spend in it, we're going to see how to be who we are as the body of Christ, kingdom people. We're going to understand what it is we need to be saying in this world right now. The name of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus. 
And we're going to learn what it is that we need to be giving, how, how we need to minister in a broken, hurting world. As you read through the book of Acts and just take it all in, I mean the whole thing, just take it in. Your faith is going to be increased. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be going, man, I don't do that. I don't know if I could do that. It's not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By his spirit. By his spirit. 